Hello and welcome to Season 4. It's a podcast that seeks to encourage and inspire you on your journey. So today's podcast is with a colleague of mine from the Cinema Network and it is with great privilege that I get to have a chat with Dr. David Simmons who um, it's full of surprises genuinely it's one of those things where I've known for a long time and the things that he's sharing you're going what that's amazing anyway um, it's there's so much to say I've recorded this intro too many times without wanting to actually take away the, the, the aha moments and the great big reveals. Um, but all I can say is that you, you will find this incredibly encouraging. It is such a warming um, conversation and one that I guarantee will continue to keep thinking about what was spoken about because honestly, there's some real gold in this. But anyway, as always, let's get into our devotion which sets the context and the theme for our whole conversation. Context is everything. In the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 5 verses 11 to 12 from the Passion Translation, it reads, How ecstatic you can be when people insult and persecute you and speak all kinds of cruel lies about you because of your love for me. So leap for joy! since your heavenly reward is great, for you are being rejected in the same way the prophets were before you. On the first reading, this looks insane. Joy and rejection, happiness and pain, that is crazy talk. But in context, there's something profound happening here. By choosing to live differently, Peacemaking, kindness, waiting on God, etc. These are all good things. They would only cause a negative reaction if it's impacting a negative self-centered world. It jolts people. It unnerves people. It says there's something bigger happening. God is bursting into the scene and to some that's terrifying and when people are unnerved they may fly away or fight. Whatever the case is and it's got nothing to do with you, me or anyone, it's a sign that God is impacting their world. Our God of love, grace and mercy. Now that's not a bad thing but pray for them. Bless them more. God is not done yet. Amen. Well, we are now on our 10th podcast and we are with a doctor. Um, Not quite a Doctor Who. um, And I am with Dr. David Simmons and who I know from, who's a colleague actually within the Cinnamon Network and someone who I've known pre-Cinnamon. I got to know, I suppose we're a bit like, we're quite a strange little company of people within Cinnamon where we are, we're spread around the country and we seem to just reassemble every so often on on, on Zoom or or in random places around the country. is weird. Anyway, how are you? Very good, thank you. I think we met at Westminster first, 
some event just didn't well be just become archbishop and he had to send someone else to the meeting it was a faith action thing i think yeah with mr singleton that was it with daniel yeah and dan said oh yeah you've got to meet my mate david he does all sorts of bits and pieces which <laughs> i just thought well there's a person to know uh, yes like I said, you i said something really interesting to um a friend of mine today and I, he was saying um different projects and uh, and i said yeah i get involved in projects and and they 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 don't always get off the ro- off off the runway and they go mm-hmm. i meet a bunch of bumps and bruises and all sorts of stuff like that um and then i put them in the garage as I, you know, he says what do you mean by that he says well yeah well, i come across other people and they, they there's a scenario and i go oh i got something in my metaphorical garage and i just chuck it out onto the table and say does this fit does this this and I get across you a bit like that as well. You do a bit yeah. of this and a bit of this and all that. So anyway. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Anyway, enough uh, No, that's fine. A quiver full of arrows. Uh, yeah, let's go with that. That sounds a lot better than my metaphorical <laughs> garage. <laughs> so look, David, um, tell me, tell, tell, tell me and tell the world a bit about yourself. Who are you? Where are you based? What do you do? What, what have you done? Where? What do you do now? And then we'll get into um, talking about this this lovely uh, devotion that I've written and what that mm. actually means to you. Okay, um, <clears throat> a bit about me. Uh, let's think. So, born quite a number of years ago in Japan. Yeah, you're Japanese. <laughs> Not exactly. No, no sadly. No, no. To to. Um, European parents, really. Well, my mum's American. My dad was English. Mm. Um, And they were out there shipping and stuff. Um, Went to boarding school, uh, left to become an actor. So I trained as an actor. Wow. Uh, Met my wife, Amanda, at drama school. Wonderful. And then left drama school, did a bit of acting, but it never really worked out. Um, And then eventually we were expecting our first son. So... At that point, I had to get a proper job. Oh, yeah. Nightmare. Got into IT. And I remember going to um, data training, it was, in London. And it was in Euston, not far from the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts. Yeah. I remember coming out of my slavish course that made no sense to me. The last thing I wanted to do was be a computer programmer. So it's God's sense of humor. <laughs> and... Uh, I remember coming out at lunch breaks and seeing all the actors swanning around with their scarves and, oh, darling, darling, oh, darling, and feeling really jealous because <laughs> that had been the world I left behind. And uh, to go into a basement and learn how to code, it was weird. But God's the God of huge, long journeys. And it was a, it was a long journey through IT, but he did a lot of stuff in me in the process. Yeah. Um, so one job after another, and gradually I accumulated a set of skills, which is now what I do, if you like. I use at Cinnamon. Uh, I use at other organizations that I work for. So I work for Cinnamon two days a week, and yep. the other rest of the week, I sort of do other bits and pieces, whether it's using my sociology background, uh, the, the PhD that I did, and or whether it's uh, writing websites, designing websites, or creating films for people, or generally making myself as useful as I possibly can to help people do what they do. 
Uh, three sons and two grandchildren. So a grandson born three years ago on May the 4th. May the 4th be with him. Uh, he's a Star Wars baby. He doesn't know it yet. He doesn't, hasn't really twigged into Star Wars. He's a big Beatles fan. Oh. And Michael Kiwanuka as well. Very yeah, he's very erudite. He loves his music. And then yeah, yeah. Um, Ashling, my uh, granddaughter. Uh, so yeah, it's it's been it's been busy and and fun. Yeah, uh, huge journey. How have you been coping with this wonderful, hideous, challenging, epoch potential changing world occasion known as the pandemic? <laughs> One way of putting it. Yeah, I've um, I have to say it's not been bad for me. I remember Jeremy Hyam in his interview said he was really blessed. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's funny how his story very similar to mine, because he was someone who aspired to be something big and gradually God brought him down to the small. Yeah. Um, and that really chimed with me, really resonated with me. So listeners, if you haven't heard the Jeremy Heim interview, I recommend it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Go back and, and check it out because it's amazing. And, and basically God did exactly the same thing for me. So I had these huge dreams and he's whittled me down to the small and the local. And I actually, in some bizarre ways, really enjoyed lockdown because it enabled me to focus on, for starters, work was, uh, we were very blessed because um, Amanda was able to claim furlough. She had been running the corner coffee house in Dagenham. Yeah. Uh, but she claimed furlough for a while um, until it became clear that the corner coffee house was, you know, not going to work in any uh, way soon yeah. so uh, she's now working uh, in for the same charity but doing other stuff um but we basically rediscovered the joys of being small of of mm. of reading books of going for walks in the park and we were very blessed to be able to provide childcare for our grandchildren too so we saw them so you know two of our sons were in our bubble yeah. Our third son got married during lockdown, so we went up to Sunderland when it was a lot less strict, you know, last summer. Oh, yeah. And one of 15, we were two two people out of 15 who were able to go to that wedding, which is very bizarre. But uh, yeah. so all three yeah. sons are married now. And, um, yeah, so we've been blessed, really, in lockdown. We've, we haven't caught COVID as far as we know. Okay. We've had the jabs, had the yeah. test several times. By goodness, that's <laughs> awful. But <laughs> there you go. That's amazing. So, um, uh, as you know, today's uh, devotion is about context. And we just had a chat previously, and I, I, I went over what, what I wrote. Mm. And it's, it's, it's one of the most problematic parts, I think, or start, it's, let's say, there's a number of verses in, in, the, in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount, which I find are a bit of a... Oh, challenge yeah yeah and this is one of the first ones yes and so talk talk to me about that what why what struck you about it and then and how has how does that actually then how's that played out for you in your journey of being a doctor and a uh, an actor and a it uh, you know uh, an it programmer and a web guru and an author and a, a husband and a father and a grandparent Mm. Oh, and as a bloke who lives in Essex. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose for me, I mean, one thing that immediately 
brings out from the passage itself is an Ishmael song, funnily enough. Huh. It shows, well, I would going to say shows my age, but actually all my sons grew up on Ishmael. Yeah, and um, it's, it's powerful stuff. And there's a song which he wrote um, about this very verse. And it's, it's, it's the scanning and the phrasing is, is very unique to Ishmael. For in the same way the persecuted the prophets who were before you. I remember that going through my head. Mm. And I remember seeing that thinking, what a strange verse to be singing about. <laughs> Rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way the persecuted. And so you could easily read this and get a persecution complex and think, woe is me. I am a Christian. I am undone. Yeah. But in a way, the whole of the Christian life is about learning to die to self. Mm. So, and in a sense, this verse is about that. Now, in the West, we don't get persecuted in quite the way they do in, let's say, China. It's the most obvious example. Yes. But we do suffer, not suffer, we do experience, I would rather say, moments of disconnection with the world. And I remember being an actor reading scripts, thinking, mm, I'm not sure if I really feel comfortable as a Christian performing this. And a friend of mine uh, was an actor. He just left drama school and he was offered a job in the West End. So he would get his blue equity card, which was the big sought after thing, working with one of the greatest directors who ever lived on a play which was cutting edge, yeah. working with yeah. some great actors. And he would have been a, a walk-on part, but it was a gift. And he read the play and he was appalled. As a Christian, he couldn't do it. It was basically why I hate Christianity by Jean-Paul Sartre. Oh, no. Uh, and he was faced with a, a quandary. And we, he and I had just become friends and we were sort of tracking each other's careers. And this was everything to him. It was everything he wanted in life on a plate and he had to turn it down. Yes. And he spoke to the director on the phone and the director basically said, I will make it my personal job to ensure you never work again. What? Christianity is an outmoded concept. How dare you turn this thing down? Um, and basically he, 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 he left that phone call. You can imagine his hands were shaking, yeah. you know, heart going, knowing he'd done the right thing, but just turning down his entire career. Yeah. For the sake of something he felt was wrong. It was the very first job he'd been offered. So he went off to work in Selfridge's toy department. And I remember I was getting work yeah. as an actor. Uh, not amazing work. It was theatre and education type stuff, but it was still paid, kind yeah. of. <laughs> uh -huh. Profit share, which is always a joke. Um, and I remember coming and visiting him in Selfridge's and he was like, well, you know, I'll see what I do. And if it doesn't work out, I'll do X or Y and I'm sure there's something will come up, but, uh, you know, and he, he was out of work for a good three or four months after that rejection of, of the play. Yeah. And um, he experienced what it was to come right up against the world as soon as he got the opportunity to, to you know, work. But he persevered. Um, and not long after that, he got an opportunity to interview for the Royal Shakespeare Company and he got the job. Wow. So he went from there and then he ended up in the West End and then ended up in television doing lots of things. He's not doing that now. Okay. He's not acting now. He's doing lots of voiceover work, but he does a lot of other stuff 
in the business profession, funnily enough. But, um, you know, he has his own journey and uh, he can talk to you about that, I'm sure. But it, it's, it, it just goes to show that as Christians, you never know quite how this, this moment of having to rethink our lives will come about. And so for me, it wasn't so much that kind of thing. I didn't have the opportunity to turn down a West End show, sadly. Although, goodness knows, I mean, but I found that dying to self occurs on a daily basis. Yes. And there are moments, there have been moments in my life when I've had to sit down and say, okay, this is a moment where David Simmons has to take a second fiddle to God. Mm. Um, so What's that feel the examples, like? sorry? What does that feel like? <sighs> difficult, very, very difficult. But yeah. I, I mean, there are, there was um, one particular moment when I was um, I was working in IT. I was quite successful in IT. I had a wonderful family life, three sons by then, and yet I was dissatisfied internally. I was struggling, um, and my senior pastor—he hates being called a pastor, but he kind of is. Um, he said, David, can, do you want to come round, you and Amanda, let's just talk about this issue. So we went round and it was grating on me. I, I didn't know. I was dissatisfied in my spirit. I was very sad and depressed, really. Not sur- clinically depressed. I was going to say surgically depressed. <laughs> Not clinically <laughs> depressed, but really down. Yeah, yeah. And uh, struggling with the purpose. What was my purpose in life? And this American guy came into town one day and we often have these guest speakers at church and he came and spoke. And I remember he was jet lagged and really tired and his wife was with him this time. He didn't always bring his wife, but this time he brought his wife. And um, John, our leader said, uh, Daniel's dad, funnily enough, he said, I want you to, I want you to talk to my friend, David. He's just down and I would like you to pray for him. So I remember it was quite late at night. We went around about half nine, yeah. after a meeting and we were all really tired and he said so tell me about yourself what was the issue and I, I just explained I'm feeling a bit down mm. um and he said mm, that's interesting and he said tell me about your dreams and I had a dream I had a a a longing and everyone carries longings with them and sometimes they're great they're good longings but god fulfills them in time other times they're longings which drag you down yeah. like weights and this particular longing was the longing to be someone to be successful to be either a successful musician yeah. writer or actor director or all of the above <laughs> you know just to be recognized um yeah. As an actor, I didn't really want to be a lead actor. I was quite happy to be an ensemble, but in regular work, the sort of person that people think, oh, I've seen that guy before. What's he been in? Oh, he's very good. But not necessarily know who I was, not necessarily get stopped in the street. But uh, there was this this thing, and I can only, it's like being in love with someone that unattainable. It was just dragging me down. And so he put his finger on this and said, okay, we're going to pray about that. And he prayed with me and something broke in my spirit. It was a dying to self. I had to let that thing go. But as I let it go, an incredible peace came. Um, 
I didn't realize how significant it was until I guess weeks or months later when I realized I was no longer carrying around this depression, this cloud of, of, of longing that had been there for so long. I mean, now psychologically, I think I know where it came from. But at the time, I had no idea. I, and I remember saying to God, if you don't want me to have this, don't let me carry around this cloud. Yeah. And the cloud lifted. And so part of me had to die in order to give that up. But in the result, the result is that, you know, I became very content with whatever I had, whatever I was <clears throat> doing. That meant that whenever I was in a situation beforehand, I would always try and promote myself. I would always try and push myself forward. Uh, I would try and become the center of attention in a room. I would try and be, you know, body every self, my wife calls it, the person that everyone gravitates to. Yeah. But from that moment on, I no longer had the need to be the center of attention. I was quite happy to serve others and to shine a light on other people. And that's something I enjoy doing. I enjoy being the stage manager yeah. rather than the center of attention. Because um, when I was an actor, I remember the people I thought really reflected the kingdom of God were those who, after the curtain had come down and the actors had got their standing ovations, they were the people who swept the stage, who struck the set and pulled it down and worked through the night so that actors could come back again the next day, yeah. having had their sleep and their, you know, whatever, yeah. and receive the applause. No one ever applauded those guys sweeping the stage. No, that's right. That's so, right. yeah, it's quite incredible, really. And I, I just realized that that's the kind of person I, I like to be. I aspire to be, really. I mean, that is such a profound thing. Um, I mean, you are such, that, that prayer changed you. It changed your DNA, didn't it? Totally, yes. Uh, because, because essentially being an actor, you are, you know, you're, you're the peacock, you're the, you know, the front of the mm. stage, it's look at me, I've got something to say. And even as a, as a, as a supporting actor, you, you bring a flavor, you bring a, a color to a scene or a scenario. And yet there was something in, in, there was something that you were carrying that possibly wasn't holy. Mm. It, no, absolutely. It, yes. was, it was something that was, um, was it because it, it was saying that you weren't good enough? Um, but what you found was is that you are enough in any scenario. Because I would imagine yeah. when you went, what was that moment when you decided, all right, I'm going to just do some programming. I'm just going mm. to do, become this IT wizard, which you are. Mm -hmm. what, did that, what was that thought like when you went from this person who was chasing after his dreams yeah and then to becoming an it program what was that moment of going well i've just got to do it there was death in that as well i mean i i do a, i do it i have a talk which i did at church a while back called get a death which is instead of get a life get a death and <laughs> um, yeah um great i love it <laughs> and it, it I find the, the, the most significant moments of my life as a Christian have been those moments where I've had to die to self. Yes. Um, and so that moment was definitely a death. You know, the moment I described when I went out to have my lunch 
and I saw these actors running around. I, I now look back at that and think, gosh, how sad, because, you know, <laughs> I, I'm currently re-watching the Pride and Prejudice uh, TV series with Colin Firth, Jennifer yes. E. Lee. Yeah, yeah. And one of the actors in there, the guy who plays Mr. Bingley, I can't remember his name now. Um, he's a leading actor in the show. He's been in other stuff as well. But from a point in his life, he just decided to become a teacher. And now he's a head teacher at a school and he loves it. And you think you go back, you see, as an actor, you think these guys have made it, they've arrived, but actually everyone's on a journey. Even the greatest actors yes. are on a journey. And I remember Ian Ogilvie, the, he was great in the seventies. He was the saint uh, and in various other things he'd done. He always played posh people, <clears throat> theater, yeah. television, film. And then one day just, just wrote a children's book and thought, I enjoy this. So he gave up acting and became a children's <laughs> author. And it, Looking back at the 19-year-old me when I trained as an actor, I thought this was the only thing in life. Then I met Amanda and she introduced me to her family and I realised family was a special thing. My family was special but kind of disconnected because, you know, we were all at boarding school, me and my brothers, and yeah. so we didn't know our parents that well. I got to know my mum better because she became a Christian. There's a whole story there. Yeah. Um, but my dad was always relatively remote until the end of his life. And there's a story there too. Yeah. Um, but it's fascinating that we trace these things. and We look back on our 19, 20 year old self and all the things we wanted to be were important then, but there's so much more to yes. life. Yes. So much more. So, so what was the, because I, I mean, you are, uh, you are what I call the enabler. Okay, you're the guy okay. that 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 people turn to to help us. So within Cinnamon, uh, we will go to you and say, look, we, we need to sort out the social media. We've got a problem with our emails. We've got a problem with um, pretty much anything to do with communications and stuff like that. Mm. We we our first portal call is probably to you or maybe to K two, but you mm -hmm. know, or mainly it's to yourself. Um. But then you're a doctor, and that always made me chuckle. It's like, <laughs> like, what do you mean? So here's a funny story. I won't name his name, but <laughs> however, he was a doctor, and I, and I was like, and he he put his name as Doctor Such and Such, um, and it was a Reverend Doctor, and I was like, Oh, great, okay. yeah. I was like, oh, okay, so so you're a doctor. What, what's your? What? And it was, I was expecting it to be like in applied theology or or. or um, the, the hermeneutics of whatever. And it's like, no, I'm a doctor in soil fertilization. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, seriously. It's <laughs> soil yeah. fertilization, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, yeah, very helpful in uh, churchmanship. Um, but the, the reason I ask this is because about your mm. doctorate is that I studied sociology when I, in, uh, as an A level, found it fascinating. Mm. It is. Uh, and how has how when did you do it and how has that shaped your world view and your behavior mm. with what you do both in work but in family and in community what does that look like big question that's amazing okay well for um about six years i worked for a, a charity called lifeline community projects and the ceo there is an inspirational person called avril mcintyre she's incredible um and Every time I got called into Avril's office, she would have some kind of a, 
a crazy idea that she was floating past me. What if she loves the what ifs and she she's created many charities and she's forged partnerships with lots of people, including the University of Greenwich. And she had a connection at the University of Greenwich who wanted to help us to evaluate one of our programs that we were running. And one of my passions was I was a parenting practitioner at the time with Amanda, um, as well as running a children's center and a few other things. I mean, they're all things that Avril had spawned, these, these, these projects. Yeah. And um, we wanted to evaluate. I, I was concerned that our programs were good, but I wanted to prove to people that they were good. And how do you objectively do that? So I said to Avril, we need to get some kind of certification to say our programs are great. She said, that's a great idea. She went to the University of Greenwich. They said, okay, send us a student and pay for that student and we'll sort out this evaluation. So she thought, great, okay. She had some funding available. And so she said, all right, she she offered it to one person who said, "Mm, I'm kind of busy at the moment. So she called me and said, how do you feel about doing this as a master's or possibly a PhD? And I thought, I had no idea. How do you do a PhD? What is it? I hadn't got a, <laughs> a, I hadn't got a proper degree. <laughs> as a friend of mine says, um, means phenomenally dim. Um, charming, I tell you. So I thought, I mean, I, I, the only degree I experience I had was uh, I did a diploma in drama, which was a degree equivalent and so I had to sort of twist my, my thinking around how can I even apply for this thing? Yeah. And I went along to a sort of open day thing and I really enjoyed talking to the tutor, the supervisor and the fellow students. And I got that sense of a smile of God's approval. That's all I could, the only way I can, I can I explain it. I get it. Felt good. Yeah. Uh, I had a similar feeling, fully enough, when I went to drama school. I, it was either drama school or the London Bible College. Oh, and wow. I remember you went I had a more fun thing, just saying. I did. <laughs> well, I, the thing is, I was going to the London Bible College to, I don't know, I, I'm not really sure why I felt it was the thing I had to do. It was the thing. Um, all the young people at that age in the church said, got to go to Bible College. So. I know exactly, you think. Yeah. So, anyway, um, so I remember calling up the Bible College saying, I've just been offered a place at drama school and I really think that's for me. And they said, great, go for it. Anyway, so um, so I felt the smile of God's approval. And so I signed up for this thing, little knowing how long it would take and how much of my life it would take, how, oh, how much goodness. it would take over everything. But a lot of the students struggled with a lot of the aspects of it because in order to be effective at research, the social research that we do, you have to understand how to access databases and search databases online yes, uh, to yes. get the, the literature in order to analyze the the world view on a particular issue and also to be able to um, transcribe text uh, from interviews and then analyze those interviews to draw out the themes that match a particular philosophy of life yeah that's in it in a nutshell and because of my IT background it was a piece of cake so I was teaching other people how to do it they were saying, I'm really struggling with this. I was like, oh, come on. This is so simple. Look, this is how you do it. Oh, wow. You draw this and drag this to there. And, and I just realized all my work in IT had led up to that point. God had sort of orchestrated my IT skills so that I was able to do that. At school, I struggled with maths. I hated maths. I hated numbers. Hated. I couldn't get on with it. Yeah. Yet when it came to the statistical side, statistical analysis, I just fell into it. We had a brilliant teacher, a 
a lady called Swati, and she was just brilliant, Swati Patel. And she explained to us in layman terms how to make sense of numbers and figures and the formulae that you need to prove the effectiveness of any kind of intervention. And so I'm able now quantitatively to analyze an intervention as well as qualitatively to analyze it. So I, I looked at, we first of all, I evaluated the program I was asked to do to begin with, which was Getting Ready for Your Baby, which was an antenatal program that we ran at Lifeline yeah. at the time. But in addition to that, I then did a, an in-depth analysis of the lives of 12 couples who had become parents for the first time, but also were migrants to the UK. So I was ex- analyzing their experience and because I was embarking in Dagenham, we just experienced quite serious racism um, because the, the local council had been taken over by six uh, BNP members back oh. in the day in 2016. Oh. So we had BNP councillors. So the council had a particular way of, of addressing this issue. But it was fascinating to me running a children's centre that a lot of the uh, professionals who were accessing the nursery uh, were black African people yep. who'd come in and were doing an amazing job in the city. They had very lucrative jobs, yeah. driving Mercedes. They were driving their children, drop them off at the nursery. Lovely. And so all of our nursery children um, were black or black, you know, mixed race. Yeah, lovely. All of, all of the people who were accessing our social services were local people who were white working class. Huh. They were the ones with the broken families and the... And a lot of the black Africans were Christians as well. And so I invited them to become the sort of parent representatives on the board and all that kind of stuff, because they were the ones with the brains and all the local people, the people who'd voted BMP, the bitter, twisted, racist people were the ones who really felt left out. So it was a fascinating thing to me sociologically to analyze my local area. Now, what's interesting is since that time, not only has the council changed, it's completely Labour now, um, it would be nice to have some opposition, but, you know, I'm not grumbling. But in addition to that, the the proportion, we're just about to have another census analysis, uh, 2022, 23, uh, from this year. Uh, but it, it, it had risen from uh, 20, 2001 to 2011 significantly. So the African population had risen to about 40%. It had been far less beforehand. So I remember thinking... Uh, the African diaspora, the West African, many of them Ghanaians, um, have brought such vibrancy to our community, such diversity, such fantastic stuff that we hadn't had before because of the issue of racism. So my analysis for these families was, how do you feel about working and living in Barking and Dagenham? How's it been for you? Yes. And yes. it was interesting getting some of the um, some of the responses from those people, as well as interviewing a couple of couples who were white working class. And, you know, as far as they were concerned, Thatcher was the goddess who had brought, come to bring in, you know, and, oh, it wouldn't happen under Thatcher's day and all these asylum seekers to them. Asylum seekers were anyone who wasn't white. (laughs) It was fascinating. So it's it's been a very, that was a very interesting study. So I, I finished that, oh gosh, I don't know, 2015, I think, 2016, graduated with bright yellow, canary yellow robes. I did look terrible. (laughs) (laughs) 
so there you go. Yeah, that that was. But the, it's it, it's enabled my work because it enables me to do the research. I've done some bits of research for Cinnamon uh, over the last few years, but it's also enabled me to get more work as a researcher, helping people to tell their story uh, quantitatively, qualitatively, to blow their trumpet effectively, so that when they go to new funders, they can say these are the sorts of things that we can prove that our work does. Yes. Uh, that's very important, I think. Funders are looking for evidence. They want to know that people can, they not only say anecdotally, uh, we run a great ship, we run a fantastic program, project, whatever it may be, but yeah. also, look, here are the stats, here are the figures, and here are the quotes from the people who've gone through uh, whatever intervention it is. It, it sounds to me what, uh, what happened when you had your death and mm. you suddenly were had a, a, a new pair of spectacles, <laughs> uh, a new pair of glasses and how you see the world, is that it gave you uh, um, the ability to see the world in, in a new detail that you would not necessarily have seen. It, it, it was like you, your gaze had moved from you and started to gaze on others. Yes. And, and, and so when those who are persecuted you know because of their ethnic ethnicity mm, yes or their social economic status because of your it background you mm. go actually hold on there's another way of seeing this here there's another yeah. way of approaching this and 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 what you're doing is that you're extracting what i like that what I, I i tend to it's not my own phrase of course it's not uh is that you are extracting the gold out of, out of situations you're revealing the, the goodness or the godness in people well yeah which which helps people stand and and, and stand with dignity actually you know, mm. which, which is extraordinary extraordinary goodness me goodness me so we are uh, we're going into and it's something i've i've found um and this is this is an interesting thought mm. we, we, we're going through um uh lockdown here in the uk it's it's easing and um i'm startled i am startled by how um how easy we have reverted back to how things were before the yes. pandemic yes and, and i'm i keep telling my friends about um when world war ii ended the soldiers just went back to the factory or back to the office it was only seven years later Longer mm -hmm. than the actual World War II, it was seven mm -hmm. years later that the Berridge Report actually came out and said, hold on, the society is saying that there is a certain inequality here. There's a certain... Yeah. What, what's your... Because th the, the question I, I have is um, to, to people is, uh, well, how's that working out for you? That you've gone back to the factory. You know, you, mm. you talked about you don't want to go back to the way the world is, it was, etc. Um What's your take on all of this? Because um, as Christians, as someone who lives in East London uh, or in Essex, depending on which mm. way you, you, you see, see it, um, what, do you, what do you think are the things that we've learned that you think we need to probably be a bit more intentional in, in uh, shifting our behaviours, being that you are a behaviour change person? Mm, that's a really good question. Yeah, I think um, I, I find it very sobering 
reflecting on how people have behaved during the pandemic because there has been immense selflessness on behalf of the NHS. Yeah. And immense selfishness on behalf of some yeah. who, you know, just groups. Um, for whatever reason, they behave in that way. And I think nothing reveals original sin more clearly than a global crisis because you get two responses. I remember reading Miracle on the River Kwai about the, um, the, the, the internment camps and uh, in, you know, run by the Japanese um, and how some people became feral and reverted to an almost animal-like state and others became selfless and gave their lives up for others literally Yes. Uh, taking the punishment upon themselves uh, to be beheaded or whatever it was. I mean, it's just horrific stories, but eye-opening. And so the pandemic's been interesting because you see the two sides of the coin of humanity. And for the church, I think it's a real challenge uh, for our church as well as any church. I just, I don't want to go back to the way we were, uh, but a lot of people are crying out for so we have a congregation of 350-odd, and we cram into a small school hall. Uh, not small. It's big, but not big enough, if you know what I mean. I and so Monday, Sunday mornings were packed. They were rammed. And we had a band, and I played bass guitar in the band. Uh, um, and the, the worship's lively. And there was a power in that, in the corporate worship, which people will miss now, although we kind of tried to replicate it over Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not quite the same. No. <laughs> um, and I, I, I lose count of the amount of people who say, oh, I can't wait till we get back. Mm. And I don't know if we will. And I don't know if we, I want to do exactly what we did before. Not because I'm scared of getting COVID or anything, but I think God has said, think about your priorities here. You, mankind, you are no longer in control. And we're all control freaks, really. And it's when we try to control ourselves, our destiny, yes. that we sin because we try and do live without God. Yes. And even as Christians, we keep reverting back. Oh, I keep forgetting. I keep forgetting, Lord. Okay. Oh, but I just got to make, make myself Lord of this situation. And uh, No, actually, no. Okay. Okay, God, it's yours. Ah, oh, but there's another crisis. I need to just run it myself. I need to just. And so in the same way in the church, we're trying as a global church, we're trying to think, how can we go back to the way we were? How can we? And, and I think, I don't know how it's going to look, but I think there will be a change. I think, as you said before, like the beverage report, there will be um, longitudinal effects of COVID that we've yet to really scratch the surface on, like long COVID health-wise, like the mental health implications for young people yes. and for others. Yes. So... The, these are, you there, know, there are. I mean, it's in many senses. There's part of me who thinks it's a premature question because, like you said, yeah. that longitudinal, longitudinal analysis is something that we, you know, we, we have to wait for that one. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, within the enneagram. For those who are fans, I'm a seven, so I'm, I'm a future thinker <laughs> all the time. I'm always thinking ahead, which, which drives my wife around the bend because she's a nine. Yeah. She's like, she's always like, well, where are we now? <laughs> she, is, <laughs> she is my anchor uh intent in, in a sense of just keeps me grounded which is which is helpful and frustrating and helpful and but she's a joy and i love her um 
but uh, I'm, I'm a great believer in, in, in sometimes driving the agenda. So, for instance, when I started all these ridiculous devotions, it started out, obviously, as, as you've heard, you know, it started out that I wanted to start creating a culture of encouraging. You know, mm. because encouragement is something that we need because a bit like in that moment when you had that cloud mm. sometimes you just need someone to walk alongside you to say you know you're all right but hey man, let's have a chat and then then and then you've got all those wonderful things you can share that can lift you know sometimes it's prayer sometimes it's a word of uh, um, recognizing the goodness and the godness in them mm. what, what kind of things do you think that you might do intentionally on purpose when things are really footloose and fancy free when we are free from all of this restrictions i will love being with family something we've we've lost to a certain degree we've been blessed in as much as we've seen our family but um getting family together is something that's important to us um hugging those we love it's a, good, it's a good question because, I mean, to what extent have we lost the sense of the importance of physical touch? Yeah. Um, elbows don't quite do it. You know, <laughs> I'm a hugger. Yeah, I'm a too. hugger. And I find the whole thing just bizarre. Oh, it's awful. Too bizarre. I know some, some who aren't huggers. Uh, and that's fine, too. And they love, they love, you know, their isolation or whatever it may be. Yeah. But I think we're made for connection, so that is something I will, I will enjoy, um, and making the most, rejoicing in the small things. I think, I mean, we're going to enjoy um, the next projects that we run. I always say to people, if they want to plant a church, then open a coffee shop because it is church. You know, in that in that true sense of, yeah. it's an extension. It's a doorstep to the church. Um, I shall rejoice in the small of that. Mm. Things which I, I did rejoice in before, but I just it's it's in those those moments of connection with people that you suddenly realise what life really is all about, um, and that that's why this this you know, God taking us from the huge dreams that we had as young people to the smaller things of now. It's learning to not only enjoy the small, because let's face it, God starts with small. In, yeah. You know, if you look at Noah's Ark, there was only a handful of people who, who were on that boat. Uh, or if you look at Abraham, he had one son. He had two sons, actually. Um, but one son that became the, the chosen people. And then it starts with the small and recognizing that the small things are actually as important as the big because the small things then become the big. Being a grandfather makes you realize that I look now back at my grandparents. Now they are Zephan's great, great grandparents. Yes, they are. And I used to think great, great grandparents, gosh, they were pre-century. Pre but no, it, the, the, the generations are squishing quite quickly now. We get great grandparents who, who live on for quite some time. Yeah. Stefan's own great grandmother is, you know, great men, we call her. She's doing well. She's, you know, in her 80s. Yeah. 
And so suddenly great-grandparents are de rigueur and then great-great-grandparents are just one generation away and then great-great-great. And so suddenly you realize the enormity of life is actually quite short, quite small. Um, and so helping my grandchildren to develop their characters, develop their personalities, develop their loves. And ultimately, um, we have Rachel Turner come over to our church every so often. I don't know if you've come across her. No. She wrote a wonderful book called Parenting Children for a Life of Faith. Yeah. It's a life-changing book because it's a book for parents, but it's a book for everybody. It's about parenting yourself <laughs> for a life of faith. Oh, wow. And she says, the thing is, we, we raise God conscious kids as Christians. We so often raise God conscious kids, kids who are able to recite verses or talk about um, what uh, Hannah had to do in order to have a baby that became Samuel and how Samuel responded to God and how God then kids who can come up with this stuff. They're God conscious, but they're not necessarily God connected. Yeah. And God is a God of relationship. And, yeah. and so often we bring our children up to be aware of God, but then let them out into the world and they just go on their own way. Mm. And mm. if they become God conscious and then God friends with God and they're aware of God, then even if they wander, they will always come back at some point to the father who created them, who made them, who loves them. Yeah. And yeah. I, I cannot recommend that particular book highly enough. And her, if you can get her to, to speak at a church, she's amazing. She's very, very funny. What, what's it called again? Parenting Children for a Life of Faith. Wow. And there's loads of other books now she's written. And she's just hilarious. She's a wonderful character. Um, and it's, it's helped our church shape the way we teach parenting, but also, more importantly, shape the way we teach prayer because she talks about prayer as a as an experience where you chat and catch you chat to god and you catch him you don't you know how do you explain how god speaks to us i was talking about this in church last week it's an impression it's a feeling it's a sense it's a, as i said the smile of god's approval yeah yeah um yeah. it's that sense of yes this is okay this is the way walk in it but sometimes you have to walk before he says this is the way walk in it which is always a, a, a bit of a pickle, but I God is that. a God of pickles. He loves pickles. He <laughs> loves impossible situations and he stretches us. And so she talks about chat and catch. You chat to God um, and then you catch from him, either through an impression, through a dream, through a thought, through um, a, a sense in our skin. Sometimes we catch God in our skin, how we feel about a certain thing, a tingling sensation. And children do this very naturally. So you could have children catch, chat and catching from God. They're lying down. And one of them says, ooh. And you think, oh, what's just happened? I just felt God give me a hug. Oh, that's lovely. And for children to experience that, even if they then grow up, go to university and discover a whole set of philosophies they never knew existed and find them very seductive and impression. Yeah. Um, at some point they will come back to the God who hugged them. Yeah. I have no yeah. doubt about that. I know so many, it was one of many burdens I have in my heart, but so many Christians, you know, Christian leaders, parents whose children have wandered from the faith and they, they blame themselves. And I, I, I have parents because our children 
have all grown up. And there's another podcast here, so I have to call me back. Um, my three <laughs> sons each went through a massive crisis. Okay. And so we learned so much in that period. And people say to us, and now they're all following God, but they, people say to us, well, what's the formula? What's the secret? But there is no secret. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's a, there was pain in that. There was a lot of pain in that, but yeah, it's for another yeah. time. Yeah, I think that I, I will want to pick on that one. And I, I think we should do that at another time because that's important. Just just uh, just just replaying what you're saying and just trying to, to and not trying, but just seeing where where this this is, this is really interesting. So essentially. For a person who gets persecuted for what they believe in and that sort of stuff, mm. um, if they do that without something within them and from and, and their uh, 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 something that the, where they've come from is plainly stupid it's just dumb it makes no sense mm, no sense yeah yeah but but what you're saying is is actual fact if you're cultivated in a community when you start to have a, a sense of god in the small the medium and the big when when things become difficult they're not really that difficult because you've got you're filled with God, you know. And I, I love what you just said about that whole thing of um, how we talk to God, and it's that chat and catch, which which I find extraordinary. But but that, that I mean, everybody needs that sense of belonging, worth, and value. And it's that thing of we need to be in a community to be cultivated. We need to be in mm. a place where it says you're great. You yeah, you you. you we, 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 we value you that you play the bass guitar or you whistle really well or you make a great <laughs> cup of tea or you're fantastic with databases or you can reach things that I can't reach or whatever it is. I like mm. that about you. And with that, can you come along to help me with this? Or can you do this? And let's see what we can do and let's have some fun. Uh, and, and, and I find that that's just wonderful. That's really lo lovely. And... Um, that's a gift what you just given us there, mate. Bless you. Thank you. <laughs> That's so good. That's it. I was going to ask you, you got any books as well that you uh, you might recommend well, the, the Rachel Turner uh, one? Have uh, you got any more? A good, another one, yes, definitely. When it, when we come to this subject of persecution, of course, Heavenly Man, Brother Yun. Oh, yeah, of course. Oh, it's amazing. And again, it's madness because he, he gives his life to Jesus. I think his family think he's bonkers. Yeah. Yeah. And he is bonkers because yeah. he then he gets serially imprisoned. And but yeah. he says something very interesting at the end where he's he's persecuted by American Christians. <laughs> <laughs> and he he suddenly thinks, oh gosh, that, that's even more painful than the Chinese government, because you know, you kind of expect a totalitarian government to persecute someone, but not evangelical Christians. And and so that's that's a salutary lesson to learn but hey yeah. you know yeah it's that i could oh, there are so many so many great great books of course had silvoso yeah the ecclesia and, and his, uh, yeah yeah the man's amazing um yeah 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 i mean i could go on well listen i just want to say thank you this has just been a joy uh, i you you know i just as i say i never plan these things it's mm. I, for me this is a a conversation with three involved you know you me and god and that sounds so cheesy but there is there is this <laughs> it does but but i'm mm. I, you know when you meet people and you go yeah there's something there 
I don't know what it is. Come on, God, show up, do business. Mm, mm. And um, yeah, I, I think for me, I, I it's in many senses. This just sounds a bit a bit bit bonkers, but I would love this sort of practice to be something that people do when they rock up at a coffee shop. I say, right, mm. we are going to do intentional conversations about go and yeah. talk to one another because. You know, just by by the fact that you and I have chatted, obviously we've been working together for a few years now with cinnamon, etc. Mm. But I know for a fact that a whole bunch of our colleagues know squat about what we've just spoken about. And yeah. yet when they look, <laughs> it's true. And then when they look upon you, you go, "Oh, Doctor David of sociology, of wizardry, of all sorts of stuff." They'll go, "Oh my goodness!" <laughs> I mean that. I mean that. And um, honestly, you. that's been a real gift. Thank you very, very much indeed. Thank you. Well, I feel very encouraged. Well, there you go. We win. <laughs> win, win, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, well, I will be in touch because I'll see you at work. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Bless Thank you. you. Thank you for the opportunity. It's been great. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Matt. Well, I just want to say thank you for joining us today on this podcast. And... Uh, for any references that were made throughout, be it groups or books or whatever, um, do come and visit us on seasoned4.life. And there we'll also have other details about all the other podcasts that we have done and will be doing also. Take care and we'll catch up soon.